Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. Previous guests on the show have included Jonathan Fokker, Pam Arland, and Mark Scandrette. You could go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Craig Greenfield. Craig is the founder and director of Alongsiders International, a fast-growing movement mobilizing and equipping thousands of young children to walk alongside those who walk alone, vulnerable children and orphans. After 20 years in the slums, he has uh, written many books, uh, Urban Halo, Subversive Jesus, and his latest, Subversive Mission. We have a great conversation around his story living in the slums of Cambodia, finding our way as missionaries, and how the fivefold applies in cross-cultural work. So you're sure to love this conversation with Craig Greenfield. Uh, Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming. Awesome to be here, Joshua. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd love to hear your story of how you got into your own uh, missionary journey. How did Jesus set you on the path? that you uh that you went on yeah sure um well like like many folks while i was at university um became a christian and actually decided to take a semester off and go and spend uh six months in cambodia Mm. um and i had a connection with cambodia because my parents had actually adopted to cambodian refugees when i was when i was a child wow so um there was already that sense of connection there but while i was over there um, just started hanging out in the slums and getting to know young people there. And um, God really grabbed my heart. And mm. uh, I remember one day, I, I really put a lot of effort into learning the language. I was, I guess I was 21, 22. And I kind of memorized how to share the gospel in a, in Cambodian language. Yeah. And one of my friends in the slums there, and I said, to, and I kind of shared this presentation with him that I'd memorized. <laughs> And he just looked at me and said, shook his head very sadly and said, Craig, I'm very poor. I'm very poor. Mm. And <laughs> to me, I was like, dude, you're missing the point completely. This is rich or poor. Makes no difference. Yeah, in my mind, makes no difference, rich or poor. Um, but it really set me on a journey to kind of delving into mm. Jesus's teachings around, you know, Jesus literally said, I've come to bring the gospel to the poor. Yeah. I've come to bring good news to the poor. And this 
this friend of mine was certainly not hearing it as good news. And um, so that really started me off thinking, what is, what is this gospel? What is mm. the good news for the poor? So then, yes, then I ended up moving back, uh, moved into the slums 20 years ago. <laughs> wow. So it was 20 years ago, you moved into the slums uh, in Cambodia, and you, you decided to figure out what is good news for the poor. Um, and yeah. so as you looked at the teachings of Jesus, you looked at who he was, um, and when he said good news to the poor, what do you think he, he means? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a it's been a long journey to to summarize in in one sentence. But what, one thing I do I I did kind of discover is that wherever Jesus was preaching, he was preaching about this kingdom. You know, yeah. it's, it was the kingdom. So to understand um, why this kingdom is good news, we have to know what is what does the kingdom look like. And why would it be good news to the poor? And why would aspects of it almost feel like bad news to the rich and powerful? Um, and, you know, you look at, you look at the prophecy, um, the, uh, Mary's song, where she sings while Jesus is in the womb, um, speaking about, you know, the, the, the powerful will be pulled down from their thrones and yeah. the hungry will be fed and the poor will be lifted up. Um, it gives us a hint of what this kingdom could mm. be like. And uh, it's, it's not, uh, interestingly enough, it's not a gospel or a kingdom that we hear a lot about in most of our churches. Yeah. Yeah. And so this kingdom is, it's really important to figure out where is the reign and rule of God in our lives uh, so mm. that we actually could bring, and it's really an upside down kingdom, right? That there is, yeah. you're, you're flipping the tables a little bit and saying, hey, there's actually going to be something for everybody at this table. Yeah. And I know when Jesus yeah. announced his ministry, the Jews didn't like like it after, you know, he talked about people from all nations coming in and it's not That's just right. the Jews. Um, and it's so- They tried to throw him <laughs> off the cliff at that point. <laughs> they sure did. So so how do we get to, to a place where the kingdom is good news for all um, as we're entering into that? What does it look like when we're actually bringing what you said a, so, Let's let's go bring in the kingdom of God and what that mm -hmm. is, good news, as opposed to the actual, like what you said, gospel message that you thought you brought at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I one of the ways that I think about the kingdom of God is in give me a chance to explain this a little bit. I, yeah. um, you know, with, with Jesus is born in Bethlehem um, is uh, the, the reason, he, one of the reasons, apart from the divine plan, but this is all part of it, is the census, right? Mm -hmm. Empires have a census for very specific reasons. They want to know how much tax they can take and how many soldiers they can either recruit or men they have to oppress. Yeah. So it's about money and power. So Jesus is born right there in the under the shadow of the twin pillars of mm. the empire, money and power. And interestingly enough, in Luke 3, the next chapter, um, John the Baptist calls two very specific groups to repentance, the tax collectors and the soldiers. Hmm. So we know that this kingdom is coming against or is at least the very opposite of these two things that that kind of characterize the empire. And for me, it's that is the characterization is yeah. kingdom versus empire. The empire strikes back. But it's about money and power. And so when we understand the gospel, 
um, there are going to be aspects of economic repentance. Mm. There's going to be aspects of those of us who hold power are going to be giving up power, are yeah. going to be laying down power. And those who are powerless are going to be lifted up, mm. are going to be, you know, blessed in all kinds of ways that will be lifted up. So those are those are kind of two aspects, and that's kind of where missions has often gone wrong yeah. um, throughout history. Is with you know, if we talk about empire, we're talking about colonialism as well, right? So yep. money and power are the two, are the two kind of ways that we have <laughs> sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally undermined yeah. ourselves in mission yep. is through money and power, yeah, and the wrong use of those things, yeah. And I know that you know me going out as and doing so-called missions and missions yeah. where seeing seen seeing churches uh planted and multiplied one of the things that that i don't always realize is i have uh really subconscious things within me where i my posture going into a community uh sometimes says hey i have all the right answers you don't have any answers let me show you the right yeah. way and it's really disempowering to the local people at, yeah. that I'm trying to reach. How can we go yeah. in in a different posture, in a different way, where it actually lifts people up rather than disempowers them? Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, that's actually pretty much the theme of my new book, Subversive Mission. And um, what I, what I want to suggest is that many of the ways that we have um, gone into the world and done missions is are filled with power and have not given a sense of ownership or empowerment and so many of the ways that we have kind of gone into the world and done missions have been disempowering and yeah. i think that you know covid was an inflection point we saw a lot of missionaries go home and frankly a lot of ministries collapse when those missionaries were not there yep. and um and i think that is a, an indicator of a lack of ownership a lack, lack of sustainability um and and all of those things yeah. in our ministries and so how do we then go into the world um you know there 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 are you know some go with great ignorance and naivety um and others are paralyzed and yeah. they have the sense of calling but they don't want to go they don't want to be a white savior or a savior of any color yep. um and they see the baggage and so that that's why i wrote this book is really what's the posture and um what does that look like for the various giftings in the fivefold ministry that we find in um, Ephesians 4, which I know you're very, very familiar with. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and so my, my thesis, my proposal is that each of those roles, apostle, teacher, evangelist, pastor, um, prophet, are actually roles for insiders. Primarily, mm, yeah. those are roles for you. You might be a gifted pastor in Seattle. When you get on that plane and go to Nairobi and become a missionary. Your role is not to be a pastor, but to reframe that slightly um, and to come as a midwife, helping local leaders give birth to communities of faith in that mm. context. Yeah. And so I've reframed each of the five, yeah. including the evangelist, which you kind of touched on then. What does it look like to be an evangelist and, yeah. and, and, as an outsider? I've reframed each mm. of those five for outsiders who God is still calling, by the yeah. way. Yeah, I think that's really, really helpful. And uh, as I as I read through it and I look through what you have, uh, I think it's it's a great framework. 
Mm. And I think it actually helps us in the posturing of what it looks like yeah. as as missionaries. Um, and mm. because, uh, you know, as as a missionary, uh, it's very apostolic. You're you're doing apostolic type of things. You're starting to help build and grow and mm. sustain, reproduce, multiply, establish the kingdom of God where it ha- hasn't been established. Um, but mm. when you actually reframe it, you reframe it for an outsider as a catalyst. Um, yeah. And catalyzing actually helps me say my posture is actually to find local people and local yes. leaders then to raise up and and give them some scaffolding that when I take my hands off of it, it actually still holds up and they're building mm-hmm. it and growing it and multiplying it. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. love I Absolutely. love what you did uh, with that posturing. It was really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And is it just a subtle Subtle or, or not so subtle difference between yeah. um, giving birth to the vision that's in our heart, mm-hmm. <laughs> which an apostle will often do, and a catalyst, which is helping local leaders give birth to what God has placed in their hearts. Yeah, and um, that's that. That makes all the difference, though. At the end of the day, in sense of ownership and yes. sense of just responsibility and faithfulness to the task going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and we saw we saw so many times when we tried to in in Jordan when we tried to to sit and say even start a, a little Bible study and then eventually have yeah. local people lead, it yeah. never actually worked out very well because mm-hmm. we started to lead at the very beginning, and yeah. so everybody would always look to us as leaders, um, and yes. you need to do it. We can't do it. You're the authority. Yeah. We're not. Um, and we actually just switched our posture to say, oh, we found somebody that's a person of peace that was open and hungry. And then we started to coach from behind from the very mm, beginning. Beautiful. And yeah. that's when things started to, to grow and multiply. But it wasn't until we had to change our posture. It was something we had to learn. How did mm, you learn mm. that in the slums of Cambodia? Um, well, I learned it by starting things that didn't, that didn't continue. <laughs> and, uh, that's my, that's my gifting is also around the, the catalyst slash mm-hmm. apostle too. Um, and, and really I, I say God has gifted me to start new initiatives alongside and with the poor that will benefit people on the margins. Um, that's my particular focus and interest. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've had some spectacular failures. Um, one, one of them was um, we started an NGO that um, was, you know, had 35 staff and was eventually serving thousands of people. And uh, unfortunately, through, you know, corruption at the very top, mm. absolutely imploded. And mm. so we've been through the heartbreak of seeing things destroyed and fall over and, you know, but we make those mistakes and we learn from them and then we go forward to the next season and hopefully can do better the next time Yeah, by God's grace. <laughs> yeah, it's always learning about mistakes. And one of the things is knowing that you're actually not at the end of your story, but you're actually in the middle of the story that there is actually yeah. something on the other side that we could actually look forward uh, and have hope. Um, one of the yeah. things, I've never been to Cambodia uh, myself. My wife has been a few times. 
on visits to some missionaries to for pastoral care and encouragement. And she mm. says it's one of the darkest places that she's ever stepped foot in. And it was really mm. challenging spiritually, the spiritual darkness. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, so as you enter into a space where it can be dark spiritually, mm. How do you how do you get into that that space and know that Jesus actually has you, um, and and can comfort you in the midst of of what you're trying to do, when you you see uh, poverty and depravity all around you. Yeah, um, I mean I've yeah the the two places that I've spent most of my adult life the <laughs> Cambodia. And um, the downtown east side of Vancouver, Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Actually, I, I often have thought to myself, Vancouver, Canada, downtown east side at least is much darker than Cambodia. Mm. But, uh, um, <laughs> you know, I think it, it is just looking for those signs of hope, isn't it? And asking God yeah. for eyes to see. Um, you know, when I get, there's just a funny little thing that Cambodians do. It gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you you know how you often ride a scooter around in southeast asia so i always ride yeah, yeah. around in a scooter <laughs> and um if you take off with your scooter stand down when you go around the corner you know you could you could have a little accident or something and cambodians will always point out to you when your stand is down <laughs> and to me <laughs> it's like you're taking off and they're like oh, yeah, yeah, there's your stands down your stands down <laughs> And for me, I just kind of right early on, I said, this is a sign of beautiful mm. generosity. They have nothing to gain. In fact, they could get a good laugh if you fell off. So they have <laughs> everything to gain if they don't tell you. But instead, in an act of just a little act of service and friendliness and helpfulness, they mm. always tell you. And so for and that's just a silly little example, yeah. though, of having eyes to see signs of hope because the kingdom of God is breaking through everywhere. Wherever we yeah. see everything good comes from God. So yeah. we give thanks to God for those good things that we see um, and, and keep our eyes on those rather than the many, many things like corruption. Kim, the latest um, numbers came out. Cambodia is the second most corrupt country in the world after Venezuela. Wow. Um which, you know, is quite the prize, yeah. you know, more corrupt than Afghanistan and all of those. <laughs> yeah. so just the c corruption wow. will get you down big time. Wow. If you don't have, if you don't continually be asking God, God, give me eyes to see where you mm. are at work, how you are at work, how you're breaking through. Mm. That's, that's good. That's really good. Uh, because I could actually tell the 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 thing that I, I really like about just seeing you in this conversation is I could actually tell that you love the people of Cambodia. Like mm. you're like, of course, I love the people of Cambodia. And so I, yeah. and I love them. And I think God gives us that love um, mm. so that yes. we can start to have eyes to see what God is doing. Um, so you talked a little yeah. bit about, you know, as we're. Uh, you, you, we talked a little bit about the evangelists and actually being mm. a, a seeker. Um, mm. When you went into to Cambodia, what kind of redemptive analogies, things that actually pointed to God mm. within their culture, were you able to find and see? 
Yeah, so, um, well, I, my wife is actually was born in Cambodia. She's Cambodian Chinese mm. and um, was born just before the Khmer Rouge years. And mm. so she lived her first early years through the through the Khmer Rouge, you know, genocide that took a third of the people in Cambodia's lives. Um, but her mother, um, who's actually staying with us right now, um, she talks about how the, the old grandmother used to sit her on her knee and talk about this um, prophecy that Buddha had. And this seems to be a prophecy that's only talked about in Cambodia. So <laughs> I don't know if it's legit or not, but it's a legit Cambodian myth and story that, about mm -hmm. Buddha talking about how there would be a one who would come after him who would be greater than him and who would be known as a king who brings peace mm. and would have discs in his hands and in his feet. <laughs> and um, so when they, they lived through most of the Khmer Rouge years, um, my wife was about five years old, I guess, when they escaped through the jungle to Thailand to the refugee camps. And when they get to this refugee camp and Nay's, my wife Nay's mother um, has been praying all along, you know, <laughs> God save me, whoever, whoever yeah. can save me. And they get to this refugee camp and she begins to hear the stories of Jesus and recognizes in Jesus this Buddhist prophecy that um, she had been told as a small child on her, on her own mother's knee. Wow. And uh, so at that point there, she, she recognizes this is the God I've been searching for and mm. gives her life over to Jesus. And uh, so it's, it's looking for these cultural touch points um, or redemptive analogies, as Don Richardson calls them. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but that's why in my book, I've reframed the evangelist as a seeker. And that yeah. might be kind of shocking to people because we think, well, we, we come with the answer. We know we're not yeah. seeking anything. But we, if we are humble and we are coming to listen and find out what conversation is God already having with these people, mm -hmm. then we will come as a seeker. And yeah. I think particularly in this new season, as we go forward post-COVID, post-colonialism, um, people will who have a cross-cultural calling will increasingly embrace much more of this humble posture. Mm. Yeah, I know John 6, 44 always actually gives me a humble posture where Jesus says to his disciples, nobody could come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so, yeah. you know, for me as, yeah. then as somebody trying to share good news, I'm actually looking for the people that the Father is drawing. And, it's, yeah. and I yeah. know that it's actually not up to me about how good of a uh, evangelistic uh, yeah. program that I have or a message that I have, but it's actually seeing that God's already working in yeah. the people's lives. Um, and yeah. that actually yeah. is very comforting to me as somebody that yes. evangelism is not my strongest suit. Um, it's mm. really comforting mm. that I know, hey, I could actually seek um, and find. Yeah. And so it's, it's great. Yeah. Be a listener, and yes. uh, yeah, I love I love the phrase God being in conversation with people. What what is that conversation already hmm. that's happening already? Yeah, yeah. So what does that look like for you as you go into the slums? You live it and work alongside these Cambodians. How do you mm -hmm. come in a, as a, a humble posture and have conversations with people and listen uh, to them? What are some good uh, good tips that you have uh, to enter into conversations cross culturally? 
Um, well, well, there's the obvious one that we've got to learn the language. <laughs> <We've got> to, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, we can't just rock up with a translated tract that we hand out. Um, you know, we've got to absolutely invest in learning language and culture. And that's just so obvious it barely needs to be said, but perhaps it's worth mentioning. <laughs> it is worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, and for me, that's been probably one of the greatest investments I've made is to mm. really go hard on learning the language and mm. that has paid dividends over the years since then yeah and continued learning the language there's always more to learn yep um but i guess as a as someone who's more gifted in the in the capitalist side of things um than the than the evangelist side of things i guess i'm really looking at ways to equip cambodians to be having mm. those conversations um, and so that's why we started, partly why we started the Alongsiders movement of equipping young Christians, first in Cambodia and now in 25 countries around the world, to walk alongside one vulnerable child each in their own community and disciple mm. them. And mm. uh, so a lot of my time and efforts go in that direction. Yeah. So what made you decide, hey, this is something I want to actually give myself to uh, with alongsiders of saying, I, I want discipleship to be actually central in people's lives, and I want others mm -hmm. to be able to walk with vulnerable uh, children. Yeah. What does that look like? Um, well, the, the reason I, I literally have given my life to it in the sense of um, I started this movement in Cambodia uh, 20 years ago, and um, it was spreading and bearing fruit in Cambodia. And then we moved to Vancouver and started something else. It was just, you know, the typical catalyst slash apostles starting various initiatives. Yeah. Um, but about 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with serious cancer. And I, I really began to cry out to God and say, you know, I've, I've worked with vulnerable children and the fatherless for so many years. Are my own children now going to be fatherless? Mm. Um, and of course, in God's way, he doesn't always answer our questions. He asks one back. And I felt like God was asking me, well, Craig, if you only have five more years on this earth, what would you do with those five years? Mm. And I just knew in my heart and everyone's answer would be different. Uh, you know, something to do with the kingdom of yep. God. And of course, family is central. But I just felt like I would I would give my life and pour it out for the most vulnerable children on earth. Like I can't mm. think of a better way. Um, apart from taking care of my family, of course, but to, yeah. to pour out my life for vulnerable children. And so it was at that point that I kind of had this wake-up moment. God opened my eyes and said, this alongside us thing that was started in Cambodia is bearing way more fruit than anything else you've started. And it's because it's so relational, it's yeah. discipleship, it's church-based, there's so many aspects. Of it. It's not relying on money. So many aspects of it that just are just, you know, have the seeds for real movement to take off. Yeah. And so it was at that point that we realized God was saying, why don't you help this go to other places? Mm. And that's what we began to do. And in the last 18 months, we've seen explosive growth. It, it doubled last year. Wow. And then this year we're on track again to double. We're at about 17,000 uh, children and youth involved around mm. the world. So. Wow. Um, yeah, I think God is God's doing a special thing, despite all the ways that I've managed to mess things up <laughs> over the years. God, God is at work. Well, if we put Him 
at the center and not ourselves, then things actually get to grow, yeah. multiply, and we can't actually mess things up as much. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've done some of that, which is uh, which is great. But you know, one of the things that Jesus says is that we really we can't enter into the kingdom unless we're like little children. Um, so as you're as you've been walking alongside vulnerable children, what have they taught you about the kingdom of God? Mm, mm. Well, they uh, I mean, like like I said before, those signs of hope are so present in mm. children and youth. Yeah. And so much of the world are young. And so hopefully we're not overlooking them in our ministries because you're, if you are in some countries you're overlooking 60 to 70 percent of the population yep um but i you know i look at i look at the way jesus operated he sends out his disciples empty-handed they come back they've seen miracles so they've already experienced mm. being reliant and being empty-handed and then they're face to face with the five thousand hungry people yeah and um, their first response, again, is kind of paralysis. There's too much need. Uh, we don't know what to do. Send them away. And Jesus says, no, paralysis is not an option. And so they say, well, yeah, they kind of turn to the charity response. Why don't we, do we need to get, you know, half a year's wages and bring in all these resources from outside to meet this need? And Jesus, again, says, no, that's not the way. Um, and so finally, they they kind of their eyes are open and this little boy comes to them with a very meager offering and um and that actually turns out to be the seeds of of the miracle you yeah. know and to me that's such a beautiful symbol of how children are in our community they have so much to offer young people have so much to offer uh and but we often look down on what they bring we say yeah. they don't have enough experience or this or that or wisdom and um, I think God, that's the way God very often works, is using those who are the weakest, the most vulnerable hmm. to, to spread his kingdom in mighty ways. Yeah. And, I, you know, one of the things, I mean, last night we uh, at our church, we were talking a little bit about about children um, and what does it look like to do uh, not just do children's ministry and have them separated but have them yeah. actually in integrated and teach <laughs> the adults mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that we actually could be be with them and I just started to cry and weep when I actually was thinking about how children can can encounter the living God like mm. when they actually mm. can learn and see like hey I could actually hear God's voice I can move uh, and, and do different things I could children could call people into healing prayer or something where uh, adults, jaded adults don't have the faith for it, but the children have the faith for it. Um, yeah. And they could actually yeah. move move people forward. And I know that as soon as I, I'm starting to see, you know, I have a five-year-old and seeing God through his eyes and hearing mm. how he encounters him uh, in different ways actually opens myself up to a new faith uh, that I hadn't seen before because I got to see yeah. it through a, a different perspective and a different lens. And so what yeah. what are, what yeah. are some some ways that you have seen uh, the people within alongsiders encounter God? Yeah. Well, um, you know, they they boy, do they put us to shame sometimes <laughs> and these are 
you know, these are young people who are very often living in slums in, mm -hmm. you know, the poorest conditions, rural villages, mud brick homes, tin shacks. These, these are the people who are going out of their way. Some of them not only go out to disciple one, but mobilize hundreds more mm. to make disciples. I remember asking Rachel and alongside her in Malawi how she chose her little sister. And we asked them all to choose their own because it's all about ownership. Yeah. about but being between them and god not them and us and she said craig i come from a village that is notorious for prostitution and trafficking <laughs> and i was i heard about alongside us this concept and i went into my room to pray and ask god who who should be my little sister and i looked out my window and i saw a little girl named esther and her family were teaching her how to dance seductively for men mm. and i knew she said, Craig, I knew at that moment what was in store for her. And so Esther, Rachel chose Esther as her little sister. And um, I was asking Rachel last week um, on WhatsApp how she how Esther was doing. And because this was a few years ago, and she said, oh, Esther's doing really well. She's she's joined the church, she's um, part of a faith community, and she's just finished high school, and now she wants to become a nurse. Hmm. And I just thought, what a what an absolute transformation, you know, um, from a life of perhaps being used and abused to being yeah. someone who brings healing to the world. Mm. Wow. And um, it's small. No one, no, you know, there's no headlines about Rachel and Esther. Yeah. But uh, that is the kingdom of God breaking forth in small ways mm. all over the world. Hmm. And actually, th you know, that goes to breaking generational trauma of yes. actually yeah. seeing generations of people going through the same types of of poverty, mm -hmm. the same types of prostitution or the same like just over and over and yeah. over again until God breaks in and mm. one generation changes that actually changes multiple generations downstream. Yeah. Children yeah. after children. So true. And so, you know, one of the things I've been reflecting on in the last couple of mm. weeks was that that generations of multiplication that are not just here on earth that we're going to see, but it's actually yeah. going to be years and years and years down the road that those children, great grandchildren, great, great grandchildren are all going to be transformed and changed because That's of the so way that true. God broke in. Um, yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. Like Esther's children and children after that will will yeah. reap the blessings of her life being turned around for sure. Yeah. And that's where I, I see, that. you know, Malawi as a as a nation. So communities start to be transformed and the yeah. nations are transformed like this. It, it actually leads to incredible transformation. And it, all mm -hmm. that is what you're doing is saying, all right, walk with one. Um, yeah. And yeah. over the long term. And I think that's why, how did you get to a place where I think as an apostle catalyst type person, mm. um, you, we go from starting new things to then, okay, that did, let's start something else. And I know for me, like I'm, I'm good after two, three years, like I could go to something new. How do you yeah. get to a place where you say, okay, we're actually doing this over the long term and the long haul. Mm. Um, and it's not just short-term hit and run. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is a challenge for those of us who are kind of uh, 
wired towards new initiatives, emphasis yeah. being on the new, is <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get five years deep and it's like, oh, what else should I do now? Yeah. Um, but I think that one of the things that God said to me early on was, and a lot of, as you can tell, a lot of my life is around the vulnerable children and orphans. And God said to me, don't leave your ministries as orphans. In other words, don't don't start things and not properly raise them to the point where they are strong. Mm. Um, and so that's that's really been a huge investment of time and energy um, over the last few years um, in getting alongside us to the point where you know there's leaders at every level. Um, they just had their Africa gathering, and uh, with 25 leaders from all over Africa, and I wasn't even there, and um, just just looked like an amazing i was jealous <laughs> looked like an amazing time and their asia the asia gathering will be next week and i mm. again i won't be there and, and that's really to me that's important that yeah. it's not built around some kind of charismatic person on a throne somewhere yeah. that if that person falls or goes away everything collapses um to me it's important that 99 percent of the longsiders don't even know who craig greenfield is yeah, um, I think that's just wise <laughs> because I'm just, you know, I'm just a frail human being. Yeah. Um, but building building something that will last, and mm. um, you know, just to be to to be very practical, I've had a leadership coach over the last couple of years that has really helped me. When I get, I'm just like Lee, um, I just can't face doing this thing anymore. And she and she will be like. Craig, who are you raising up to do this thing that you hate doing, that, you, <laughs> that you're not that good at? Um, and just push me in the right directions. And that has been incredibly helpful. Mm. Yeah, coaching has been been huge, is a huge key in leadership coaching. And it's also, as we've talked through this, I mean, you're talking about uh, submission, humility, um, that actually is, is part of receiving coaching um and helping help from other people um yeah and that's yeah that's beautiful i'd love to let's go into your book subversive mission uh mm. a little bit and talk a little bit about that that the missionary typing um and the from the fivefold um yeah as so and what does that look like going from an insider into an an outsider position and posture mm. Mm. Yeah, well, one of the things I, I kind of like about this framework as a, as a framework for loving our neighbors in a cross-cultural setting is it gives you a few more options. You know, we've had this one word, missionary, which yeah. is in many, pe in many people's minds is one way to be a missionary. And, um, you know, the church wants you to report on that one way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not only that, but this is a word that has so much baggage now. And I would... I would venture to say that it's done its time. It's done its course. Yeah. It's no longer an asset in most situations. Some situations, yeah, but those those places are shrinking. Yep. It's now a liability for most. And I believe that's why, and this is a little aside, I think that's why most mission agencies are seeing a downturn in funding and personnel coming through. Um, and so we actually do need new wineskins and we need new frameworks and ways of thinking. And so I think the fivefold ministry types from Ephesians 4 is, is a great candidate yeah. for saying this is a great way to 
um, understand how we could serve in the world because we're not all wired the same. Yeah. We're not all evangelists. Like, let's just say it. Paul doesn't expect that we're all evangelists or we're yep. all prophets or we're all pastors. Some are evangelists, some are prof- prophets, some are pastors, some are teachers, and some are apostles. So that's just, to me, that's quite freeing, actually. Very, very um, much so. That, that, oh, you mean I could actually live into my gifting, that God yeah. has gifted me in a certain way and I could really live into that and I don't have to be someone that I'm not. Yeah. So that's that starts, that's freeing. It's freeing to get rid of the word missionary for many of us. Um, and then to recognize that there's a posture that goes with this. When we come not as uh, not as an apostle, but as a catalyst, that 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 reframes our posture, yeah. a posture of not being the superstar, but being the sidekick, not being the one who is the person who solves everybody's problems, but being the one that comes in alongside and strengthens. Hmm. And uh, um, so, yeah, basically, the the prophet becomes an ally. Uh, not to not to lead the the work against injustice, but to amplify the voices of local prophets. Um, the seeker, the evangelist, becomes a seeker. The teacher becomes a guide, helping uh, local people to find mm. the solutions to their problems rather than telling them yeah. the answers. Um, and of course, the pastor, midwife, and apostle catalyst. Mm. Yeah, that's that's good. As you've been walking some people through this, how have their eyes been been opened uh, to a more freeing aspect of saying I could live into their uh, to my gifting um, that Mm -hmm. there actually Mm -hmm. is a part for them to play where they didn't feel like they had a part to play? Um, Have you experienced that? And what has that experience been like for people? Well, there's, there's a couple of different groups, of course, but one of the, one of the groups that I wrote this for is for, for this next generation who, are, who feel paralyzed around mission. Um, you look at Jim Elliott, 1956, um, martyred uh, on a beach with a spear as he tried to reach uh, the Huarani people um, and really labeled around the world as a hero, a yeah. martyr for the faith. He was on the cover of Life magazine. Now, almost 60 years later, John Allen Chow murdered in almost exactly the same way in the Andaman Islands, also trying to reach this unreached tribe who speared him to death and hailed as a fool and a flag bearer for colonialism um, in many parts of the world. Now, that not all. Many yeah. pockets of the church still were saying he's a hero and a martyr. And there's no judgment anywhere except to say that societal understanding and values and all of that has shifted remarkably and um and we have to take that into account and the next generation of christians hold those same values and understanding and as they reflect on colonialism in the past some of that is warranted and some of it is over the top um but they are paralyzed yeah. That's the word I'm using. Is they're paralyzed hmm. because they need a new framework for understanding how they can be in the world. Yeah. And um, that's what I hope this book will do hmm. is to provide a, some new wineskins for that. And um and as and others who have read it have said to me, you know, someone who's been working um in in a, another large mission organization, I won't 
I won't mention, but he basically said, this is how I have found is the way to go into the world. This is what I've been doing, but I've never had words for it. So this yes. is a great framework to understand it. Yeah. So hopefully just giving people words and labels of a way to mm. think about it. Yeah. And I've been, been, you know, walking with this, you know, especially within the, the APES world 5Q with Alan Hirsch. Yes, I've been wa walking yeah. in this, this fivefold ministry and then trying to say, okay, how do I apply this to missions and what does it look like to see movement? And I know when, when I'm, I'm training and teaching in this, uh, mm. that, people go, oh, I actually have a part to play in missions that I could actually, I know my part now and I know where I could fit in. I know what are sort yeah. of the things that I could be doing to help people. But I think what you have done and which I think is, is beautiful is take it actually a step further into a different posture. And I've been trying to, to explain what this posture is, but I, the mm. way that you've just switched the words into being an outsider um, and then having an insider language is that will help people tremendously. I'm really excited to be able to start to use your words um, within right. this fivefold to help missionaries say, I, I could go cross-cultural and I know how to fit and I know the type of posture that I need to take when I go yeah. into a community. And so I just say thank you. It's a it's a oh, really great work that I think is going to be really beneficial for lots and lots and lots of people as they have their understanding of cross-cultural work shifted and changed and they can move mm. into a totally new direction. So mm. that's certainly my prayer is yeah. that we can we can recapture the flame and and uh, and have a new sense of energy going forward. Yes. Yes. So now if you can go back uh, to your 21-year-old self, what kind mm. of advice would you give to yourself? Um, I, you know, I think one thing I did right back then was, and I've said this, is learning the language. Um, that was, I would, I would just give myself a pep talk, like all of those hours that you're spending, yeah, hours and hours every day. Um, are going to really pay off, Craig, <laughs> I would say. It's going to really pay off. And uh, and don't give up. It's a long journey, and you'll be learning all along the way. And don't be paralyzed by the fact that you know you're going to make mistakes. Mm. Um, making mistakes is uh, part of the way that we learn. And uh, keep at it. Uh, I'd probably say maybe don't go so hardcore. <laughs> we were living... <laughs> We we almost killed ourselves in the slums in the early years, you know, just no electricity or water and just very, very hard conditions. Um, and then when we moved to Canada, we had just come from that and we set up a Christian intentional community in the yeah. downtown Eastern. And we were still in that mindset. And our, the people who came to live with us, I, I just want to apologize publicly now. Like we just, we were, my wife and I were like, should we have a fridge? You know, I don't know if we need a fridge. <laughs> See, we honestly we burnt out a few people along the mm. way, and it was it was a bit much. And mm. uh, we've mellowed, we've mellowed over the years. But that maybe that's just the the general trajectory yeah. of people's lives, isn't it? You yeah. mellow a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's good to to have a little bit of mellow, but you got to have the yeah. the the vigor of youth to be able to go you and, and to 
to enter we into did. spaces where you, you wouldn't be able to enter into now, probably do the same thing you did. 20 years ago. That's right. Uh, oh, no, I would, I'd die after one day if I was doing it now. But but that is that actually that's the a lot of the energy behind the alongside us movement is just young people have so much to offer. Yeah. Uh, they have so much energy. They are ripe for change and new mm. ideas. You want to change a nation, work on the youth. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't bring a new idea to the 60 year olds. You bring yep. a new idea to the 16-year-olds and the 20-year-olds. Yep, <laughs> exactly. That's good. Anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Um, look, I love uh, one, of the, one of the books that's really helped me understand my own worldview and, and contrast that with, um, with Asia and, and much of the rest of the world is a book called The Geography of Thought. <laughs> and um, it's a fascinating book that kind of explains where our you know it looks at the kind of origins of of western individualism in yeah. greek culture where they are uh you know they're out hunting and shooting and if you if you get on the wrong side of uncle aesop down the road it doesn't really matter you know you have a bit of an argument go off to athens for a debate very individualistic yeah you know the seedbed of western humanity he, he contrasts that with um Asian culture or Eastern thought, which is birthed out of places like China where they're growing rice. And you have to work together with your neighbors to irrigate your rice paddy or you'll, mm. you, won't be, you won't have this food that is an absolute staple. Yeah. And so right from the very beginning of Eastern thought and culture is this idea of harmony and working together. Mm. And um, that has carried through. And you even saw that during COVID, yeah. <laughs> you know, the idea of individualism versus working together as a community just, yeah. just came clashing head to head. And I, I lived most of the COVID pandemic in Cambodia, and then I came to New Zealand and I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> it drove me crazy. But, but to, to put an even finer point on it is even the way we understand the gospel, and yep. I'm sure you've talked about this with other podcast guests, but we in the West have such an individualistic approach to understanding the God. It's me and God. Yeah. God did this for me on the cross and I'm saved. And who cares about the rest of my family until they all also make that same individual conclusion. Yeah. Uh, in contrast, we see Jesus going to Zacchaeus's house and there's this whole, you know, there's this episode of economic repentance mm. and this very holistic conversation. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Yeah, which kind of gives us a little mind explosion from our individualist. Did everyone pray the sinner's prayer? I want to make sure that each individual. You know, um, and so just I, the longer I'm in Asia, just the more I come face to face with my own individualism, which is yeah. not wrong. It's just my worldview. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's all sorts of worldview issues. And I think that's one of the reasons why as cross-cultural workers, we have to do the the deep work of, of unearthing our own worldview so that we actually are not presenting uh, Jesus plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Yes. And we actually just oh. present Jesus. Um, and yeah. so that's yeah. that's hard work because a lot of our worldview is just subconscious assumptions oh. of how the world works. And so it's hard to articulate what we actually believe and how we view the world. So. Yeah, uh, it really is. Gosh, <laughs> and we're so self, uh, you know, we're, we're the goldfish in the water. We have yeah. no idea about our own. And that's why a posture of kind of learning and serving yeah. 
is so important because <laughs> we don't, you know, we don't realize how off track we are very often. Yeah. So how can people uh, get your your book, Subversive Mission? How can people connect yeah. with you and connect with Alongsiders if they want to say, hey, I'd love to join something like that? Yeah. So um, at my website, craiggreenfield.com, you can actually take a missional types test. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we usually call these the, the ministry types. I'm calling them the missional types. Um, and go through those 27 questions and then download a PDF with a bit more of an explanation about each type. Um, and then, of course, the book, Subversive Mission, Serving as Outsiders in a World of Need, um, is, the full, is the full story of that. And I promise you it's not like doing homework. It's really as a story <laughs> as well as, you know, ideas and frameworks. Yes. Um, but it's, it's very it's driven by narrative, so it's, it's fun to read. Um, and then if you want to learn more about Alongsiders, uh, alongsiders.org is our website. And that's a movement that is operating around the world. Great. Well, Craig, uh, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for taking us on a little journey yeah. into Cambodia, uh, what you've seen you. working with vulnerable children, how you've actually started to, to switch your posture uh, and being able to submit and be humble in the midst and learn, listen um, as you're inter interacting and encountering uh, Cambodians and then taking us on this this journey through the five uh, missional types. Uh, mm. And I think that posture for us is really going to be helpful so that we all know mm. that we we all have a part to play. And it's not yes. uh, the same for each individual, but God has actually gifted uh, different different people with different gifts to play their part uh, in the kingdom. Yeah. So thank you very much. It yeah. was an excellent conversation. I really enjoyed it. Amen. Thank you so much, Joshua. Appreciated your time too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.